Welcome. Welcome to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics. If that's what you're looking for, the red letter basics, you're in the right place. We examine the Word of God following the example of the Book of Acts Church, and in doing so, we discover the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch is an online community of believers restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. We believe the church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. The Porch was created as an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc., a Florida non-for-profit since January of 2000. That website is on solomonsporch.org, or you can connect with us on firefalltalkradio.com, where the porch, which has been around since March 2010, is connected. But we're specifically housed, if you call it a house, at Spreaker.com. That's our main broadcasting site. So make sure you download the Spreaker app, and make sure you favorite Firefall Talk Radio. We're also archived here. You can download, listen, and share. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Deezer, CastBox, and on Blog, Blog Talk Radio where it all began. We are looking to increase our reach to awaken the remnant one last time before the return of the kings. Please let us know where you're listening to us what place you hear the porch, you can either go to firefalltalkradio.com and leave a message or go to our Facebook page. We'd like to know where you are. We'd like to know more about you. If you want to support what we do, there are ways to do that, starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the Firefall Talk Radio homepage. You can use the Venmo app. It's easier to use, has less fees. We are found under at Firefall Media Group, one word, uppercase on the F, the M, and the G. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Just give us the Lord leads, leads. And thank you to each and every one of you who do support what we do. Anyone not wanting to hear the community part of the porch can direct, jump directly to the chapter Mark Shofar and go right into the lesson. But we start out with praise reports and prayer requests. I do not teach. I do not preach. I do not do anything. Sound like Dr. Seuss there for a second. Unless we praise him and then offer prayer to him. We enter his thanks, his presence with thanksgiving. You should start your day that way. You should end your day that way. You should be thankful and thank him. Thank him for the little things. Take nothing for granted. So I praise him. I praise him for my home that I'm doing this in, to have the ability to set up this studio. I praise him for my wife of 40 years, uh, the family we have, our sons, daughter-in-laws, our grandson, our furry kids, some of you call them pets, and all the things, all the possessions he's given us, all of this technology surrounding me. I praise him for his protection over each and every one of us. That's Psalm 91 covering that's still available to us, and we should partake in it. Even in the midst of everything that's going on in the world, it's available. Praise him for the ministry that he allows me to work in his name, for his glory, for the dreams and the visions and the things he's been sharing with me and showing to me. Praise him for his healing virtues. I just praise him to be able to praise him. No rock's going to outpraise me, I'm going to tell you that right now. 
Praise him for his favor and divine revelation, for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times. I praise him for America, even with all of our problems, with everything that's going on. I praise him for being an American. Praise him for the signs that he's getting ready to return. I believe that he is. There's no date on what he shows me. There's no little time code in the corner, but I believe it. I believe the things are falling into place, and I believe the church and the remnant must wake up. So let's pray. Let's pray for the Middle East and Israel and the peace of Jerusalem in accordance with Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And I do. I do it each and every day. I pray for their protection. I pray against their enemies. I pray for America, its leaders and citizens. I pray for all the evil to be exposed and dealt with. But I also know that sometimes justice won't happen here. Justice will happen on the other side when they stand before the great white throne. Every day I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice. Somebody's got to stand up for them. Will you? Will you join me? I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. Say it every week. I say it every day when I when I repent before the Lord for humanity being such bad caretakers of His creation. I pray for the missing and exploited children, the victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, that diabolical satanic effort that's been around almost since the beginning. Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith religious persecution, anti-Semitism. You see it going on in the riots. Those are riots. Those are not protests. Let's call them what they are. Those demonically inspired events where they're now targeting Jewish people. Uh, there in New York, they, they are, I think, New York, Philadelphia, I forget where it was. They sprayed uh, a mace uh, into cars with children. Nobody cares and nobody does anything about it. But I tell you what, my Heavenly Father cares. The Lord cares, and I'm waiting for him to release the spirit of righteousness and righteous anger and do something about it. I pray for for the church to wake up. Maybe not the whole church. Some of it's so asleep, I don't think they could. They're like Rip Van Winkle. But I believe a remnant is awake. The spirit of the Antichrist is growing bolder. Somebody must respond to it. It knows that its time is coming. Well, we know it too. What are we doing? Well, if we're going to do anything, we need to pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as we get back to our divine design. That's the phrase. That's what you desire. You don't desire what your ancestry has done or what the world has done or what your bad choices have done. You desire to go back to your divine design, whatever it was he had for you when he placed you in your mother's womb. Continued healing for my wife, Deb, and restoration of all things. For each and every one of you that are sick right now, that are hurting right now, in heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit, right now in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, be healed. Receive. Speak to things not as they are, but as they should be. Speak to things in accordance with his word. We're going to cover that a little more tonight. Pray for protection and inspiration. As I said, the remnant needs to wake up. 
In World War II, it was the resistance fighters that helped slow down the Nazis for the Allies to get there. Well, now, now the remnant of the resistance fighters slowing things down for the return of the King and the saints of heaven and the angels that come with them. I'm asking for a call to action. I'm asking those that have been blessed to be a blessing. Each and every day, my brother uh, Larry, fellow member of SRT, founding member, along with me and Joe Citron, we, we pray every day, Larry and I do, every day for God to bless us, every day for the wealth of the wicked to be stored up for the righteous, every day for the provisions to go out and destroy the work of the enemy and set the captives free. So join with us in prayer that we would prosper in accordance with his words, that the blessings to fund the dreams, the visions, and the missions would be there, that we could become highly mobile, highly effective, and go out and do what we've been called to do. Because of everything going on, I've decided for me I want to drive, Which, and if anybody who knows me knows I do not like to drive long distances, but it would be better than sitting on a plane for five hours wearing a mask and being harassed about it. We're also asking for the ability to have our own equipment so that we don't have to rent or um, go through that so that we can produce the content needed, the content that I believe the entertainment industry will want. We believe it's worth the cost, the time, and the effort to get it done. This documentary will get done. So hang in there. I know some of you have been with us since day one on that. I've not given up, but I'm not going to present anything that doesn't glorify him will show him. So we're waiting to shoot these final parts. So continue to pray for us, for divine favor, for each and every one of you that are going through a trial financially, legally, or whatever it is, whatever adversity you're going through, we pray for divine favor. And most of all, that's why I always use it last, right now, as I say this, I want you to speak out by name, lost family members, that are not born again, that will not spend eternity with their Heavenly Father and with you, begin to claim, call them into the kingdom. I do that each and every day for family and friends. We pray right now for our lost family members. So, Father, as, as they are speaking out those names to you, Names you already know, but you're asking us to intercede. You're asking us to stand in the gap. First of all, we acknowledge you. Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. You are the great I Am. You are El Shaddai, the All-Sufficient One. You are El Elyon, God Most High. There is none like you. We thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. We thank you for making a way out for us, even from the garden. Unfortunately for Yeshua, that meant he would have to die in our place. He would have to absorb the pain and the scourging and all the things they did to him. He would have to drip every drop of blood to cover all the sins, to reconcile us to you. I can't even imagine your heart, Father watching him endure that. And Lord, we thank you that you said yes, that you didn't walk away, you didn't ask for angels to come stop it. You endured the pain, you endured the shame. You let them do to you what no man should ever have done to them. Thank you 
thank you for the cross. But thank you for the empty tomb. We're so thankful that you're not there. And that you sit at the right hand of the Father in fullness and power. And you've allowed us to sit with you in the heavenly places. So thank you for that. Thank you for sending back your Holy Spirit to walk with us and to teach us. And to remind us of you and what you said and of your word. So right now, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way with us. Open hearts, open eyes, open ears, change lives. Bless us, protect us in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've been reading the variation I created, but do not lead us into temptation. Lead us away from the snares and the temptations of the evil one's kingdom. We're going to be talking about that today. We're still talking about the Bible as a kingdom manual. We're finishing last week's teaching. And while you can learn from this with having, without having heard it, it does build upon that information. So you may want to listen to it first. But we're talking about the Word of God. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every Word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. This is what Billy Graham says about the Bible. The Bible is God's love letter to us, telling us not only that He loves us, but showing us what He has done to demonstrate His love. It also tells us how we should live, because God knows what is best for us, and he wants us to experience it. Never forget that the Bible is God's word given to us so we can know and follow him. That's what we're talking about. So, whatever Bible you're using, open it. If you're using a Bible app or Bible gateway or whatever it is, follow with me. Make notes, download these uh, uh, porch sessions, whatever you want to call them. Go over them again. You need to get this in you. You need to get to the place where if there's no electricity and there's no social media and we're not able to meet online like this, that you've got it. You can play them. You can feed yourself. Go with me to Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom 
they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let me say that again. Faith comes by hearing what is told, and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message concerning Messiah. That's why the word is so important. That's why it needs to be in you. You can't do drive-bys in the morning. I think those devotions are great. They're not enough. You need to open the word. You need to get in the word. It needs to get in you. John fifteen seven says, If you remain in me, red letters, therefore the Lord, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, that is, if we are vitally united and my message lives in your heart, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. And I've, I've been hearing that scripture over and over in my head since I, I first used it last week. Beginning to wonder, is there something missing? Is there something not in me? Is there something not in my heart that's interfering with my prayers? So then I have to refer to Psalm 139, verse 23, where David says, Search me, O God. Search me. Search my heart. See if there's any unclean thing in me. See if there's anything that hinders me from being united with you. See, the word imparted to you by the Bible becomes a part of your everyday nature. That's why he says it should not depart from your lips. So let's let's rewind back a little bit to last week where I, I told you that the often repeated command is to read his word and to respond to it, to let it inspire you to respond. Joshua 1.8, the amplified version, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read it out loud and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will be successful. told you the the modern day Christian teachers and, and translations render Torah as law, but in actuality, Jewish rabbis describe it as an instructions or teachings. And that word meditate, that's another thing I've been dwelling on, the active meaning to actively recite uh, uh, the word Hebrew, in the Hebrew is hagad, which means to mole or to growl or make a noise. It's, it's, it, it creates a response. When you're meditating, when you're speaking out the word, and you should be able to speak the word without the word being in front of you. There should be scriptures that come to mind immediately that you've said them enough, that you know them enough. When I first got saved, I know I shared this in, in the supernatural battle, there were things I called my, my spiritual bullets, my scriptural bullets. They were key scriptures that I remembered that in any demonic confrontation, 
that I could load into my gun and shoot. He has been given a name above all name, that at the name of Yeshua every knee shall bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and declare that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that fire that often tell whatever that spirit was, bend your knee, shut up, do what you're told. Things come to mind, scriptures come to mind. Meditate on it. Eat it so that you can speak it out loud. So when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the fact that Hagad means it, it's meditation inspires a moan or a growl or a noise. It, it inspires a response. Romans 8.26 came to mind. That in the same way the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weaknesses. We do, we do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should. But the Spirit himself knows our need and at the right time intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. When you hear that, you think about it. Wait, what was the mandate of the Holy Spirit again? John fifteen twenty six. But when the Helper comes, who I, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and I've said the word proceeds mean emanates, he will testify of me. Those groanings the Spirit's going to give you, it may be in a prayer language, it may be in English, but you're going to begin to speak out the word that's inside of you. I told you that linguist and Hebrew scholar Rabbi Samson Hirsch teaches that Haggad is the active thinking which demands expression. He said, when I study the word, I tend to give quiet yet verbal thoughtful expressions like yes and wow. Or as my former co-host of Reflections in the Dark, Joe Citrone, would say, wow! And any exclamation, whether childlike or whatever, that could be an amen, it could be a hallelujah, it could be whatever. You'd be looking at the word and becomes three-dimensional, suddenly speaks something to you. And you, you're you just astonished. Oh, Lord, that, I didn't see that before. Thank you. It should create a, a response. When you start meditating on the word, when you let the word get in you, it comes out of you and gives us the wow factor, those moments and it makes us desire to meditate on it day and night. It becomes a part of our vocabulary. And I'm going to show you that in an actual biblical example given to us by the Lord in Matthew chapter 4. Then Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the adversary, the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. He's also very weak. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Yeshua answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Yeshua said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord 
your God. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Yeshua said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve. And the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Luke 4 says, And the devil ended every temptation and departed from him until an opportune time. Now, when when Hasatan, when Satan offered him and said, If you, I'll give you all these things, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down and worship me, he could have said, I. I was there when you were created. I spoke you into existence. You own nothing. He could have said so many other things, but what did he say? It is written. But I like in Matthew chapter 4, which is what we're in, obviously, verse 4. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word, not your hand-picked word, not your denominational word, not your televangelist word, every word that the Father has spoken into the Bible, into us. The other thing I want to get you to see is that Satan tempted Yeshua with misquoted word. He played on his human needs at the moment, food, validation, and promoted. Oh, didn't you know? The devil knows enough of the word to misquote it and misapply it. I'll tell you, he knows more word than most believers I've met. When I was unsaved, when I was demon-possessed, when I was lost in the darkness of the New Age and the occult, I knew more word than the people that were confronting me with. So in Matthew chapter 4, the Lord is tempted three times by the devil. Each time, he says it is written... And he quotes the exact scripture. Those were all found in the book of Deuteronomy, by the way. The other thing most people overlook is that the phrase, it is written, is used four times. One of which by the devil, who was quoting scripture to the Lord. Folks, I've done enough in 30 years, 32 years of being saved and 30 years of being in active ministry to tell you that demons will twist you up. High-ranking fallen angels will twist you up. You better know the Word. The Word better be in you, and the Holy Spirit better be in you to remind you of the Word. But this example of this confrontation over the Word takes us to Ephesians 6, verse 1. Put on the full armor of God, for all his precepts are like the splendid armor of a heavily armed soldier, so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and strategies and deceits of the devil. You don't think you're in a battle? If that's what you think, you're not paying attention. One of the schemes of the devil in the kingdom of darkness is to fool you with misquoted words. 
They do it all the time. False, false teachers take people down dangerous roads. They take them to their own destruction if they don't find their way back, if somebody doesn't go into the darkness to rescue them. He lies because it's his nature. He's a pathological liar. There is nothing else that he can do, so don't be fooled by the enemy's schemes. The Lord says in John eight forty four, You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. What he speaks, which are lies, are natural to him. He is a liar and the father of lies and half-truths. We see people today in media and in politics, that lie even when they don't have to lie. It's a compulsion. It's their nature. There is no truth in them which immediately ties them to Satan. Satan was quoting from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, of course taken completely out of context, but shows that he knows the word. Do you? How many people without being told that would know he was quoting directly from Psalm 91. Now, any listener to the portrait reader of the supernatural battle wouldn't be because I use Psalm 91 a lot. But we need to read God's word where you're going to be taken advantage of. No matter where you are, or what is going on in your life, never let the word be set aside. Let me show you an example of that from the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. He tells Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure from this world is at hand, and I will soon go free. I have fought the good and worthy and noble fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, firmly guarding the gospel against error. In the future there is reserved for me the victor's crown of righteousness for being right with God and doing right, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that great day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved and longed for and welcomed his appearing. And then a little further down in verse 15, he says to Timothy, When you come, bring the coat that I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Where is Paul when he's writing this letter? He's in the basement. He's in the dungeon of a prison. He's basically in the sewer. And what does he ask for? Well, he does ask for a cloak because it's cold and damp down there. But then he asks for his books and his parchments, which were more than likely his personal copies of the Old Testament books and the New Testament manuscripts that were being written. On the verge of death, in a prison sewer, this old apostle, old apostle wanted the Word of God. He wanted to be able to study it. He wanted to be able to read it. Maybe he wanted to be able to write a little more. What's your excuse? The ultimate proof of our faith is in the Bible. That's what Paul was doing. 
He was giving it an example that you should continue even until your time runs out studying and speaking the word. You should be able to discuss its historical, scientific, prophetic accuracy. You should hunger for it. I know I do. Maybe not as much as I should. As I've been doing this teaching, I've begun to hunger more. I've begun to hunger for the days when I first got saved and there was no other distractions. That all I wanted to do was read the Word. All I wanted to do was study commentaries and books that amplified the Word and helped me to know more. But the cares of this world and everything else you have to do distracts. But I'm getting back into that, what I call that samurai mindset, that totally focused mindset. That I should be able to speak even more than I speak now. I should be able to have more word in me than I've ever had before. And I should be able to show people by a living example that the single greatest proof of the supernatural nature of the Bible is this marvelous life-transforming power that changed my life. Oh, I know they may point out that neither the Word of God nor the God of the Word can be scientifically analyzed in a, in a lab, that there's nothing that they could scientifically do to prove what I'm saying, but the evidence is real. And though the works may not be scientifically empirical, totally anecdotal, and personal testimony, it is there nonetheless. It is proof nonetheless. And history confirms the facts of the Bible more and more every day. But only you can confirm its effectiveness. Hebrew 11, 1 through 3 and verse 6. Now faith. Is the, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made up of things which are visible. We now know that's called quantum physics. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Your Abba Father, the divine creator, still desires and even demands faith from his creation, from his children. That's the Bible. That's what feeds you. That's what changes you. That's what strengthens your, your inner man. Your inner, that's what strengthens you to endure what's going on. Look what John says at the end of the book of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And truly, Yeshua did many other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. 
See, that's what we've been presented. We've been presented with a heavenly textbook, a kingdom manual to aid us in this requirement for compulsory faith. It was written that you may believe. Well, how can you believe if you haven't read? How can you speak it if it's not in you? So now we're going to get a little more analytical, and I want you to understand how things were done. The Bible was inspired or written by God using three methods throughout all the books. Revelation, inspiration, and illumination. The oldest book of the Bible is from 1100 B.C., so about that time, God began to quietly call. Some 40 people into his presence, mostly men, but in the book of Judges we're told about Deborah. He calls these diverse people to become authors for him. But he doesn't call them all at once. This wasn't like an ad in the newspaper where everybody showed up and filled out an application. Oh, this this took place over 1,500 years to complete the job. But it was so important, there was a burden on the Father's heart that it be in a simple language that not only could be understood by the 40 authors, but by those who read it. So he told them a story. He told them a story of creation. He told them a story of corruption and failure, of condemnation and justification of sanctification and glorification. He told them a love story. And when he was done, when he finished, revelation had occurred. So the almighty author of the Bible quickly, carefully guides each human vessel to their particular writing task. And Since they were so individual, he dealt with them individually. Job, a rich farmer, will write differently than Amos, the poor farmer. The words of the educated apostle Paul will be more complicated on occasion more than than those of the uneducated John or Peter. And they will write about what they know. Paul writes about The law exposes it and then teaches about grace because he experienced it. We know John writes about love because of how much he loved the Lord. But each of them will carry with them, from Genesis to Revelation, the divine approval of heaven itself from the Father itself. And when that last person, the Apostle John, lays down his pen... The next part takes over, and this is the second thing he does. Inspiration has taken place. So that many thousands of men and women will join the ranks of these original 40 and take a signed task of taking God's glory story to the uttermost parts of the earth, and some will even help to explain it a little better, not adding to or taking away from the word. Untold multitudes will be stopped in their tracks, convicted and convinced in their hearts, and saved from their sins. And by what secret power did all this take place? 
the most important aspect, the third and final tool that the author of the Bible uses is called illumination. Illumination has taken place. Light has entered the darkness. So revelation from God to man, man hears that which God wants written. Inspiration from man to paper, man writes which God wants written. And then illumination from paper to the heart, man receives the light of that which God has written. So when you look at the Bible, I have a nice leather one on my desk, the one I told you about that's all taped up, the one that goes with me into battle and, and, and I tend to hold and go to most. And I've got others and I've bought others and I've got the, bought the big print ones, but this, this is the one I keep with me. When I picked it up, when I look at it, when I feel it, when I touch it, I'm awed by what was put into it for me to have it. I know 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That word inspiration of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 builds on what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired. That word inspired means to breathe into. Whose breath is breathed into us? God's. How? By the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm telling you, you cannot understand his word. You cannot impart his word unless the spirit is in you to help you do that. One of the standard explanations for the concept of inspiration is given by Dr. Charles C. Ryrie, known for his Ryrie study Bibles. I've quoted him from time to time. He wrote the following statement in his 1994 expanded Ryrie King James Version study Bible. My own definition of biblical inspiration is that it is God's superintendence of the human authors so that, using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error his revelation of man in words of the original autograph. Dr. Merrill F. Unger wrote, The doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture is of immense importance. This is at once apparent when one considers that all evangelical Christian doctrines are developed from the Bible and rest upon its authorities. George Washington, our first president, said it is impossible to rightly govern the world without the Bible. Andrew Jackson, the seventh president, said, That book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. Abraham Lincoln, 16th president, But for this book, we could not know from right, we could not know right from wrong. I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. Of course, Yeshua being first. Ulysses S. Grant, the 18th president, The Bible is the author, the anchor of our liberties. Boy, I wish I could remember that today. Daniel Webster, I believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the will and the word of God. Helen Keller said in the Bible, I find confidence mightier than the utmost evil. Charles Dickens said, it is the best book that ever was, 
or ever will be in the world. And without knowing it, he was prophesying that the Bible is the world's best-selling book, having sold more than 5 billion copies. So let's do some Bible trivia in case you're ever on Jeopardy and the Bible comes up. You quickly throw your hand up and say, I'll take the Bible for 200, Alex. The Old Testament has 39 books, 929 chapters, 23,214 verses, 593,493 words. The longest book is Psalms. The shortest book is Obadiah. The New Testament has 27 books, 260 chapters, 7,959 verses, 181,253 words. Its longest book is the book of Acts. The shortest book in the Bible is 3 John, the fewest number of words. 2 John has more words, but one fewer verse. There are five history books in the New Testament, Acts and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 21 letters called epistles, and one book of prophecy, which we call Revelation. Yet, all of that fits together in one cohesive story with an appropriate beginning, a logical ending, a central character, and a consistent theme. If you want to study more about what I've been talking about, get a hold of Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He says, the uniqueness of the Bible is the uniqueness of Scripture. The two go together. The Bible is unique. It's different from all others. It's unique in its continuity, written over 1,500 years, over 40 generations, by 40 different authors from every walk of life, including, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, and scholars. Moses was a political leader trained in the universities of Egypt. Peter was a fisherman. Amos was a herdsman. Joshua, a military general. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Daniel, a prime minister. Luke, a doctor. Solomon, a king. Matthew, a tax collector. And Paul, a rabbi. It was written in different places. Moses wrote in the wilderness. Jeremiah in a dungeon. Daniel on a hillside in a palace. Paul inside prison walls, Luke while traveling, John on the Isle of Patmos, and others during the rigors of a military campaign. It was written in diverse times. David wrote in times of war. Solomon wrote in times of peace. It's written in different moods, some from the heights of joy, others writing from the depths of sorrow and despair. Geographically, it's written on three different continents— Asia, Africa, and Europe. It's written in three languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, with the following exceptions being in Aramaic, Ezra, Jeremiah, and Daniel. In 2 Kings 18.26-28, it's called the language of Judah, Hebrew. And in Isaiah 19.18, it's also called the language of Canaan. I don't have time to go into it here, but there are some rabbinical teachings that believe when God spoke the universe into existence, he did it in a form of paleo-Hebrew, possibly even closer to a heavenly language, which we call tongues. 
that what he spoke from Mount Sinai was the same thing, the voice of creation, the voice of the word. And this isn't in my notes, but I know why he chose the Hebrews to do it, because they were meticulous at record-keeping and passing things down. Aramaic was the common language of the Near East until the time of Alexander, which is the 6th century to the 4th century B.C. Greek was the New Testament language. It was the international language at the time of Messiah. So, of course, if you want a book to go to the, all the ends of the earth, then you're going to write a book that's going to be in different languages so the people can understand it. And it wasn't a non-controversial book. We know what it does. It covered controversial subjects, opinions, that to this day get people arrested and even murdered. The biblical authors spoke on hundreds of controversial subjects with harmony and continuity from Genesis to Revelation, but there is one unfolding story, God's redemption of man. Authors Geisler and Nix put it this way, the paradise lost of Genesis becomes the paradise regained of Revelation. Whereas the gate to the tree of life is closed in Genesis, it's open forevermore in Revelation. When you see the entirety of the story, and it's not a fictional one, from beginning to end, you see this glorious masterpiece that the God outside of time, experiencing all time, all at once, was able to give us a word that transcends time. So when somebody says to me, oh, the Bible's outdated, it's not for today, I always look at them and say, so that you're telling me the God of all creation, the God outside the time, the omnipotent, omniscient, almighty God, wasn't smart enough to write a book that transcends time. And thank you for playing. Pick up your parting gifts on the way out. Theologians and Bible students sometimes refer to the scarlet thread running through the Bible. And what this means is the Bible's theme is about a Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and his sacrifice for the redemption of man. The scarlet thread of God's redemption plan is by the blood of the Lamb, Yeshua HaMashiach. History tells us men die. And memories fail, but the written record remains. So 40 authors, single theme, over all that period of time. And it all ties together. It's cohesive. And what the Father did is he gave each author their own glimpse of his will and plan for humanity. So the Bible, really, the main author of the Bible is our Heavenly Father himself. These aren't human ideas, but this is divine inspiration and revelation given through human words. They weren't just writing machines. They didn't take dictation. They wrote it from their heart. God put it in there. The Spirit guided them. And they were all different. Jeremiah didn't write like Isaiah, and John doesn't write like Paul. But each of their personalities were used to convey a message that we would understand and we would be able to absorb and impart. 
Now, I believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, but I'm also smart enough to realize that there are figures of speech used in Scripture. I see the poetry. I see the prose. I see the literary forms, but I understand the message. I understand the message because I know the messenger, and that spirit that he used to write this is inside of me. So I can understand and I can impart to you. But if you had first met me when I first started teaching when I got the Christian heritage in 1990, I taught you what I knew and how I knew it. But I'm sitting under Pastor Shelley, my spiritual father and mentor, and seeing how he studied and how he taught. Now he laid out this smorgasbord of a, a banquet that you could feast on. And while me, most people are going, oh, you're telling me too much. I was saying more, more. I was gorging myself. I was around him asking questions. The spirit was always pushing me, didn't have to, but explaining things to me, sitting in my apartment while I was still up there before I permanently moved and got back with my family, reading four and five books a week and calling up Shelley at all times of the night and asking him, is this revelation true? And it was constant. I hungered for the word. I wanted to know what my father was saying. I wanted to know what my Lord wanted me to learn. And the examples of David and his failures and Elijah running in fear and all the things that happened were there for me to learn from. It didn't matter where it was written. It didn't matter where the writers came from. It didn't matter whether they were a tent-making rabbi or a Gentile physician, whether they were soldiers or what they had done. I mean, Moses had murdered a man. But it was all there, the civil, the criminal, the ethical, the spiritual, sanitary laws, the the things that I needed to learn to walk in this world, and especially the prophetic and the apocalyptic. All of that. How do you explain the historical, structural, prophetic, doctrinal, and spiritual harmony apart from the fact that the author is divine. You can't. You can't do it. It's from the Bible that we as believers come to understand his doctrines. That's why I'm against denominationalism. We don't even, we've talked about that when I've explained it, why the church is the way it is. If you want to know, read a book called Pagan Christianity by George Bonner and Frank Viola. I understand his doctrines. I understand his beliefs and his worldview. And I believe that the reason that we as believers ascribe importance to the Bible is that we believe that God our Father inspired it and wrote it himself. So, Basically, what it comes down to, the Bible, a kingdom manual, is more than a book. It is the book. So I'd like to leave you with a question. Is the book your book of choice? Well, don't tell me the answer. Show me. Be a living, breathing, walking example of the evidence and testimony that it's the truth. So, Father, I come to you now in the name of your Son. I come to you in the name of the Word. He was in the beginning with you. The Word of God. 
and all things were made through him. Nothing that was made was made without him speaking it into existence. He holds it all together. He is the living word. He is the rhema word. He is the logos. He is all of it in one. So, Lord, for your sons and your daughters that are struggling understanding, understanding the word, understanding you, they're struggling in this world. They're struggling with the false teachers and the liars that try to deceive them away from your word, that spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the fallen that's always trying to mess things up. I'm asking right now that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would open the eyes of their enlightenment, give them understanding. And if they're not spirit-filled in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, right now, wherever you are, be filled with the Spirit from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet with the manifestation of the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit so that you can be a living witness for him. Lord, I'm praying that you'd give them hunger a hunger for your word, a hunger to understand, to not live in this fallen world without it, to start their day with it, to end their day with it, to meditate on it, to ask you what it means, and the Holy Spirit would begin to bring areas to life, become three-dimensional as you've done with me, sudden lightly, light bulb moments after 32 years of reading it, I suddenly realized, oh, that's what that meant. So, Lord, I'm asking you, you're a son to a father for your other sons and daughters. Put a hunger in them. Fill them. Touch them. Make them speakers and doers of the word. Make them living examples of the gospel. Make them be the beacons in the darkness that the world needs right now, the ones offering hope, the ones that can tell Tell the world and those that need it about a love story, about this scarlet thread, about a Savior who died for them to set them free so that they can be reconciled to the Heavenly Father, so that they could spend eternity with Him. Give them the inspiration. Put the Spirit inside of them. Let the words come out of them. But more than that, let your love come through them. Let the love that was in you when you made a way out in Genesis to that final moment of revelation when we'll spend eternity with you. I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to inspire them. I'm asking you to change them. I'm asking you to touch them. And I just pray this in Yeshua's name. And if you agree with me, just say amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.